listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. Today, at the close of quarterly bank earnings in early June, we are doing a deep dive into the Canadian banking sector. I'm Camilla Sutton, Managing Director in Equity Research, and I'm joined by Saurabh Movahidi, BMO Capital Markets Bank Analyst. Saurabh, I'm really pleased to welcome you to today's Intune podcast. Why don't we get right into it and start off with a roundup of second quarter results. Saurabh, what should investors take away from the recently reported second quarter bank earnings? Okay, thanks, Camilla. Uh, Great to be here. So this was the first uh, real quarter following the COVID uh, pandemic quarter last year. So it was a quarter of easy comps. And as expected, uh, certainly the year-over-year earnings of the industry were well up. I think as a group of six, they reported cash operating earnings in the second quarter of this year that was two and a half times higher than last year. They came in at 14.4 billion this quarter versus 5.7 billion a year ago this quarter. And I think probably just as importantly, notwithstanding the very strong first quarter results that the industry had reported, they actually reported higher quarter over quarter earnings as well. Notwithstanding the fact that Q2s are usually a shorter quarter because of uh, February being in them. When we think about the results, this quarter we had strong credit recoveries, which is not too surprising because last year, this quarter, the banks were very aggressively adding reserves to their credit provisions in response to the coronavirus pandemic. Fast forward a year, with the benefit of hindsight, we can probably comfortably say that the banks were conservatively reserved. And given the government stimulus programs, vaccination programs, and the overall economic reopening, if you will, uh, that we should expect sustained tailwinds from reserve releases uh, from the banks. So this quarter, one of the main highlights would have been lower credit provisions, uh, anywhere from a net credit recovery at TD Bank to mostly low single-digit provision credit loss ratios at the other banks. Scotiabank would have been the difference, uh, but still reporting well below through the cycle credit costs. Uh, The second point worth uh, taking note of from this quarter's results uh, was that the banks that had well-diversified revenue streams, here we think both in terms of geography but also by term by type of business. For example, think about those that have uh, entrenched capital markets operations or those that have wealth management segments. Those banks with better revenue diversification were able to serve their shareholders better. And obviously, we've had a fairly persistent low-rate environment that continued to hurt margins at the banks both in Canada and the US, and in fact, uh, abroad, if you think about the Pacific Alliance region as well. But those with established wealth and capital market segments were able to post higher year-over-year revenues 
as markets continue to be constructive in the second quarter. And it's worth highlighting that it wasn't enough to have just a boat in the market segment. You needed to have a capital market segment that was more than just a trading operation. You needed to have an investment banking segment that was both in Canada and the US. And even though we don't cover BMO, we would highlight that both BMO and Royal Bank were probably the standouts in terms of their capital market segment uh, this quarter. So very strong capital markets revenues, wealth revenues helped offset the headwinds of margins. We obviously continue to have very good credit tailwinds. And so the, the third leg of the stool here, once you have revenues and credit co- covered off, I would say the highlight for investors should be the nice rebound in the profitability of the banks, notwithstanding the higher capital levels they're sporting. So with the exception of National Bank, the ROEs of the banks had all collapsed to single digits a year ago. Three of the banks actually did not have enough earnings to cover their quarterly dividends a year ago this quarter. But fast forward to Q2 2021, and they all had surging ROEs back to the mid to high teens, and National Bank was back above 20% return on equity leading the group. And they've done this even with higher capital levels as uh, versus pre-pandemic. This is actually quite important because it tells investors that the Canadian banks are not engineering higher ROEs, but they're getting better returns on their assets, notwithstanding lower rev- leverage or high capital ratios. So when you sit back and you think about the quarter's results, you feel very pleased with the way the banks were able to withstand the last year, and you feel somewhat optimistic insofar as we are, for all intents and purposes, in the early stages of the next business cycle, and as banks are levered plays on their local economies, and the economic activity is starting to pick up again, we should feel very uh, pleased by these set of results and optimistic uh, about the balance of the year. Let me, let me stop there and see if, uh, if that answers your question and uh, where you want to take it next. Thank you, Sora. It absolutely does. There's a lot of positive pieces in what you've just said. So do you think the banks are still a good place to be investing? You know, Canadian banks are a, a special gift to investors. Between the, 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 the combination of their dividend yields and quite candidly staunch commitment to maintaining those dividends, between that earnings growth, you can usually count on double-digit returns on an annualized basis. True, there are times that you could also benefit from a re-rating perspective. So the last year is an interesting point of reference, and you saw the bank's ROEs collapse. You saw the valuations compress. You saw this around the world, probably across all of the banking systems. But true to form, the Canadian banks have been able to rebound uh, quite handsomely (laughs) in the past year. Having said that, while we continue to be very constructive on the space, and I'll give you a few case in point examples, we would not expect the kinds of returns we got out of the Canadian banks and their bank stock anyway in the past year over the next year. So for a point of reference, in the past year, the Canadian banks are up 
anywhere from a low of about 39% at Royal Bank to a high of 81% at Bank of Montreal. So I want to repeat that. This is the stock prices being up anywhere from 39% to 81% over the past year. Quite astounding, obviously a byproduct of having been pressured last year. As we look ahead, we are looking for returns more in the double digit category, but more like a 15 to 20%. So some nominal re-rating still, as opposed to the types of violent re-ratings, if you will, that we got last year. On an absolute basis, given our earnings forecasts and our focus on 2022 earnings, we see the Canadian banks trading at just around 11 times our estimates. We've set our target prices using the upper bound of 12 times on those estimates. The bank index typically trades between 10 to 12 times. But I must make clear that if you adjust the current valuation multiples for the Canadian banks for the amount of capital that they're carrying. So think of it as a capital adjusted multiple. And we adjust them to an 11.5% common equity tier one ratio, which is a regulatory criteria. You could arguably see the Canadian banks trading at below 11 times and closer to the 10 times end of the spectrum. So all of this to say, both on a capital adjusted basis and relative to their own history, the Canadian banks have some room, multiples still have some room to expand, which is a favorable for Canadian bank investors. The second thing I'd highlight is that domestic investors will usually look at their uh, bank holdings and bank valuations relative to the S&P TSX composite. And what I would suggest to you is the Canadian banks still have some room to re-rate relative to the S&P TSX composite, uh, even from the levels they're at. And so if the banks are currently representing about 22% of the TSX, it wouldn't be surprising to see them get up to around 24%. So I think domestic investors still will benefit from an overweight position in the banks relative to the composite. And then I think for non-domestic investors, usually we look at the Canadian banks, their valuations relative to the U.S., the banks are cheaper compared to the U.S. banks. And I think for non-domestic investors that uh, are finding Canada cool again, <laughs> given uh, the GDP growth outlook, the amount of stimulus spending, maybe the, the strength in commodities, including oil, certainly you can see it in the strength uh, of the Canadian dollar, money is starting to flow back into Canada. If I'm a non-domestic investor looking to bring my weight to Canadian equities back to more of a, a neutral as opposed to an underweight, uh, then uh, you can bet your bottom dollar that uh, the Canadian banks will benefit from some of that funds flow coming back into to equities. So we think there is a number of reasons, both funds flow, but also structural that will be favorable to, to the Canadian banks and uh, Canadian bank investors will be well served to remain overweight uh, the banks. For, for the historians among us, I think it's worth noting that uh, BMO Economics is forecasting Canadian GDP growth of uh, 6% in the next year. The last time the Canadian GDP grew at those types of levels was back in the fourth quarter of 1987. In 1988, the bank index outperformed the TSX by about 1,700 basis points 
1989, the bank index outperformed the TSX by a further 600 basis points. So two back-to-back years of outperformance. Even if you dropped that threshold and said, when was the last time the Canadian GDP was growing above 5%, that would have been mid-1999 to mid-2000s. And if you look at the bank index performance in 2000 and 2001, it outperformed the TSX handsomely again by about 3,600 basis points in 2000 and about 1,900 basis points in 2001. So that's a history. (laughs) Maybe the history will rhyme, maybe history will repeat, but certainly the fundamentals are all pointing favorably. And so very, very long-winded answer, Camilla, to your question that yes, we think bank investors uh, will do well to continue to be overweight, the banks. Thank you, Saurabh. So I have the pleasure of hearing your bank views often, but maybe for the audience listening today, can you talk a bit more about why you expect Scotiabank, CIBC, and National Bank to outperform? So, you know, very good question. We probably expect them to outperform for a few different reasons. If you sit back and you think about Scotiabank, where we see a 19% return to target, I would argue that coronavirus the past year was actually a setback for Scotiabank. They have been very proactive in changing the risk profile of the bank, disposing of subscale operations, expanding scale and focus markets, moving capital towards more shareholder-friendly opportunities. But COVID really stalled that momentum as they shifted focus to reserve adequacy and downside protection. The differentiator for the bank is its international strategy, which has been limited really in the past year to expense management and and credit quality as opposed to top-line growth. But with economic recovery from, from the pandemic still on the come, in the Pacific Alliance region. Here I'm talking about Chile, Mexico, Peru, Colombia, as well as the Caribbean, where they also obviously have strong presence. We see the potential for better than peer growth prospects, which at a discounted valuation multiple today is worth considering. So our outperform for Scotia is based on the fact that they built up reserves more than the peer group. They should have more reserves to give. Secondly, the economies that they're in should provide better than peer earnings growth, led by the international banking segment. And then thirdly, the bank is always has always been a leader in uh, efficiency improvements and uh, delivering results in an efficient manner. For longer-term investors, we think BNS represents a bit of a growth on sale opportunity where they currently have peer leading dividend yield. So the market already factors in much of the risks associated with the current situation. So there is downside protection uh, at current valuations with upside potential. CIBC, we see about a 14% return to target. And I would argue CIBC was a coronavirus winner. Obviously, there's no winners because of coronavirus, but in the context of the competitive dynamics in Canada, the one-year reprieve allowed CIBC to showcase its comparatively more secured lending portfolio. The pandemic allowed for the bank to set aside conservative reserves relative to its risk profile, which we believe will provide a disproportionately more favorable earnings tailwind for CIBC in the next four to six quarters. So the bank looks to the, the bank looks set to invest part of these I'll call them windfall profits from over reserving to close the gap to the peer group 
while sustaining momentum in its domestic banking operations, which is about 60% of the total bank. We don't see the task at hand as insurmountable, but we also think CIBC is a self-help story. And over the next year, year and a half, given its sharpened focus on maximizing returns from its organic operations, it has the best return potential, and that potential looks compelling on a risk-adjusted basis. And we see less likelihood of inorganic capital deployment or major inorganic capital deployment at CIBC, which is a good thing because its valuation multiple is the second lowest amongst the group. And so here, yet again, we see a cheaper bank with upside potential downside protection. Lastly, National Bank, we see about a 12% return to target. We'd consider National probably also a net winner over the past year. It had pulled its horns in in anticipation of a downturn, not obviously in anticipation of a COVID-like situation, but all the same, uh, well-reserved, preparing for a downturn, and it is now able to come out very front-footed and perhaps even grow into its reserves. So its earnings profile benefits from its duopoly in Quebec, obviously a little bit offset by a bit of an over-reliance on financial markets, which is positive in the last couple of quarters, but generally a source of some uh, volatility in earnings. It has an international banking strategy, which has been additive to its risk-adjusted growth and profitability. And we think Nimble Investors will take particular note of the growth expectations over the next year, while taking comfort in its resilient ROE and uh, strong capital reserves. You know, make no mistakes about it. Unlike CIBC and Scotia, this is not an outperform rating predicated on multiple expansion, but one based on the fact that it has the highest ROE, which positions it well to compound book value at a faster rate than competition. Two, it has a philosophy of capital return, and it has consistently leveraged share buybacks and dividend increases as a means of returning capital. And we expect the highest dividend bump once the regulatory restrictions are lifted in Canada at national. And finally, I'd say it's an underowned bank. After all, this is the smallest of the big six banks, and many investors focus their efforts on the larger, more liquid competitors that account for a greater weight in the composite. So it doesn't take much funds flow <laughs> to make a comparatively higher impact on the share price here. And with Canada cool again, among non-domestic investors, national and arguably CIBC would be the two most pure play plays on Canada. So those are the three, Scotia, CIBC, and national. We rate outperform for various reasons, but all of the banks are likely to be good investors for long-term investors between good investments, I should say, for long-term investors, given their dividend earnings and relatively cheap valuation multiples. Hope that, uh, hope that does the trick. It does, Saurav. I'm sorry to say we've already run out of time, but Saurav, thank you very much for joining us today. We've covered a lot of ground on the Canadian banking sector, and it was a really interesting discussion. That was Saurav Movahidi, Female Capital Markets Bank Analyst. Female Capital Markets is proud to be able to deliver a thoughtful analysis of upcoming sector trends that will prove important to client investment decisions. If you enjoyed today's Intune podcast, please do subscribe and rate it.
Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. Or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.